You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. ABC Tonight. Special Agent Will Trent. Judge Bureau Investigation. I told him I'd bring my best. Will sees things that no one else does. Based on the New York Times bestselling series. Why Will Trent? He's good police. And he's objectively hot. See crime. Put on Amber Alert. There's a kidnapping. Through his eyes. He read that crime scene like it was a book. Ramon Rodriguez is. I'm a pretty observant guy. Will Trent. Series premiere tonight, tonight central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Are the Scranton employees in the later episodes of The Office weirder because of prolonged exposure to radon? Is the cult film The Room based off a Shakespearean work? We'll discuss those theories later in the episode, but first, let's find out if the gargoyles and the hunchback of Notre Dame are just a hallucination. And welcome to Fan Theory Queries, where we analyze fan theories from all over the internet, but mostly Reddit. I'm Laura. I'm Michael. And I am Spencer. So I'm bringing you guys a classic, beloved Disney film from 1996. We are going to be talking Hunchback of Notre Dame. Ooh, nice. Good choice. Loved by who? Exactly. I was about to say, as much (laughs) as it's a good film, when was the last time you actually watched this? Probably when it first came out, and never again. You know, I actually watched it like a year ago, I think. (laughs) Yeah. It was the first, to be fair, it was the first time I'd watched it in like 10 years, but Mm -hmm. still. Okay. So this film came out in 1996. Okay. That's so crazy. Man. So um, we'll go ahead and get into the theory, but I just have so many, we could branch off in so many different directions with this, so let's get going. (laughs) Uh, This theory comes from Race Car Lock, and (laughs) it is that the gargoyles are a hallucination. I didn't think this was even a theory the first time I watched the movie. I thought everyone had read it like that, but apparently even Lindsay Ellis didn't think about this, which I had to look up who Lindsay Ellis is, and she's some kind of YouTuber. I don't know. And self-proclaimed Phantom of the Opera influencer. If she (laughs) didn't think of it, if she didn't think of it, then I mean, come on. (laughs) Okay. Quasimodo has been locked in that tower for years. That level of isolation would probably break anyone. So in desperation, one day Quasimodo's psyche simply locked onto three stone gargoyles the church had as decorations and made three wacky, humorous friends out of them simply to keep Quasimodo sane. Also, it doesn't appear that Frollo, despite his overall abuse, ever tried to smash down Quasimodo's childlike imagination, possibly due to neglect and Quasimodo simply hiding his new imaginary buddies for fear of execution or something. I mean, think about it. Do they help out in action scenes? What about whenever Quasimodo's just interacting with the other characters? They're in the parade at the end, a bit, but they're still far away up on the tower where no one but Quasimodo even noticed them. It also makes sense that the gargoyles are so lighthearted and comedic in an otherwise bleak movie. What else would a child create to keep them from going mad with loneliness? Mm -hmm. Or rather, more mad with loneliness? We do see during the movie that Frollo has kept Quasimodo in a childlike mindset as well, lending additional credence to the theory. That's what I think anyways. Cool. As it has been established, I remember that there was a hunchback guy, and that's about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In this film, if you look at like top billing, 
It's Jason Alexander, who is one of the gargoyles, and Demi Moore as Esmeralda. Mm-hmm. Those are the two people who are top billed. Mm-hmm. Not okay. Quasimodo, not Frollo, <laughs> a gargoyle <laughs> and Esmeralda. So let me ask you this. Does, because I need a refresher, does anybody other than Quasimodo interact with the gargoyles? I was going to get to that down in my comments. So one thing I was going to kind of branch off with is it's it's something, I guess, about our generation becoming the quote-unquote adults that with the onset of like social media and stuff and the <laughs> kinds of jobs people can get now to make a living, there is a section of the... I don't know if you how how you want to classify it the zeitgeist or whatever that are called Disney adults. Have you all ever heard of this before? Never. I actually have. Yes, th- these are people yeah. who like have season passes and go to Disneyland or Disney World all of the time. They mm-hmm. have several different sets of Mickey ears. They wear Mickey or Disney themed clothing all the time. I mean, their lives almost revolve around Disney IP and these parks. It, they, they just go hand in hand. And they're called Disney adults? Disney adults. Seems like there'd be a, like, a more clever or catchier term than that, like Disdults or Disney adults. <laughs> now, that's not to be confused with there's something, there's something else called Didney. And it's like <laughs> the knockoff Disney stuff that's been okay. printed in a, another country, but mm. there's something wrong with it. Like an eye is pointing mm. the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And that's gotcha. its own little subgenre of the internet. And it's called Disney. And usually it's got, I think its main logo is like a picture of Gaston that was misprinted. And he has a very crazy <laughs> face. I'll have to pull that up for you guys later. It's real fun. Wow. Um, and in fact, why don't I, I'll post that on our social media Fun. when this episode comes out. <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to say with all of that, I mean, most people will talk about their favorite movie or TV show. I don't see Hunchback of Notre Dame come up very much. Nope. No, it's very low on, like, I, I I'll admit, I, I am not a, a Disney adult, but I do love Disney movies, especially that era of Disney movies, and Hunchback is probably pretty low on my ranking list. I've, I forgot about it. I forgot that it existed, because like I said, I've seen it one, maybe a couple times when I was a kid, and never since, and there's yeah. just not any really memorable characters or anything. I wouldn't be surprised that you forgot it. I mean, memorable characters, I will argue that because this is based off of a work by Victor Hugo, you know, yeah. the, but that's what I think lends to it being so forgetful. They took a very dark, this is one of Disney's darker animated films. Oh, yeah. They took a very dark subject matter and made it for kids. It, they should it, have done that with Les Mis instead. <laughs> Victor Hugo's other work. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's it's funny. It makes me think of my my first job out of college was working for a children's theater touring company. But for <laughs> some reason, I don't know why, the show they gave us <laughs> was The Amazing Adventures of Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> they took the the cannibals and made them into something called the Frowny Face Tribe. <laughs> mm-hmm. What? <laughs> I know. 
to make it more palatable for children, but it was not the most uh, popular dear. show on mm. to choose from from this yeah. company. <laughs> so, but I think that also lends to why this isn't a popular film is because it, yeah, it's very dark and yeah, the only comedic relief is these gargoyles and yeah and they may not be i remember not even be real at all yeah i remember whenever i watched it it was like a year ago whenever it was i remember thinking this is like a lot darker than i remembered (laughs) from the first time that i watched it which was about whenever it came out or so but Mm -hmm. yeah i was i was shocked at some of the content in it and like (laughs) the fact that it's a kid's movie (laughs) So that leads me but, to a question, unless you were not done with your thought. I was just going to say, but despite all that, to kind of add to your point, Spencer, even though I watched it a year ago, I honestly don't remember most of the story at this point. Mm-hmm. So there's just not much memorable about it. With it being based on a Victor Hugo novel, are there comedic relief gargoyles in his book? Nope. They are totally created for this film. In fact, the gargoyles are named Victor, Hugo, and <laughs> Lorraine. But it's funny about how they were trying to market this to children. I don't know. There was some kind of weird period there in mm-hmm. the late 90s at Disney. I mean, we have this and we have Pocahontas, which both of those films, like both of those stories can be yeah. a little tragic and much more adult. And we tried to make this for children. So much so that, you know, they also got their, they had their partnership with McDonald's. And so you got your Happy Meal toys. Mm-hmm. Right. I remember the Happy Meal toys that I got from this film. <laughs> they were these juggling balls is what they were, because the whole thing, you know, it's being it's being told by this kind of court gesture, Harlequin style mm-hmm. performer. And he does juggling and stuff like that. And so they made these juggling balls. But each of the three balls was one of the three gargoyles. Okay. So I'll, I'll post a picture of those as well on our social media. So those can, those two things can go together. But I, I remember that vividly when I was reading through the theory, researching it, finding different things to go with what I wanted to talk about here. I was like, I remember having these gargoyle balls. (laughs) It was a weird memory that popped up. Anyway, it just seems like as, as much as race car lock, Feel, it seems like they feel pretty passionately or definite about their assumption here. There's not mm-hmm. much to back up their theory. Let's go into the comments here. And then I also pulled something from Disney Wiki about it as well. So, okay, sounds good. Um, our first comment is from Rakorum. That sounds like part of the bed knobs and broomsticks spell. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Uh, <laughs> they said, I like this except for one thing. They were in the main action scene. As Frollo's men storm the cathedral, all three of the gargoyles actively fight back in ways that Quasimodo wouldn't be able to replicate. I think the film tries to intentionally leave it ambiguous. Well, hmm. there's that. Yep, we, we have that. And so Yosimba2000 Yos, Yos <laughs> said... I don't think they are hallucinations. Aside from the final battle, when Esmeralda and her goat first enter the bell tower and Quasi shows, begins to show them around, one of the gargoyles gives kissy faces to the goat, and the goat clearly recoils in surprise. It's just weird, though, because, like, if those are the only two instances of them interacting, like, are they never around when other people are there? Like, Esmeralda? Well, not many people are around... 
Quasimodo. That's the whole thing. Yeah, is he many, hasn't been with people. 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 Is yeah. she? Does she see them? They kind of stay hidden from her. I think. Hmm. Yeah, I think they're trying to prevent like scaring her off. Okay. Mm-hmm. They, so, they figure Quasimodo will do the job. Oh. <laughs> oh. Okay, so I found this on the Disney wiki when I was digging around about this. In the DVD audio commentary, Kirk Wise and Gary Trousdale, who are two of the directors of this film, and Don Hahn, who I don't know what how he served, what capacity. It's a great name though. Don Mm -hmm. Hahn. (laughs) (laughs) They say they suggest that it's possible that the three gargoyles exist purely in Quasimodo's mind and are, in fact, split-off portions of his own personality created to deal with his loneliness. While this is only a possibility, it should be noted that the only other two characters in the first film to actually see a statue come to life are Frollo in the midst of his insanity and Jolly when Hugo tried to kiss him. So that's so, a goat? Yeah. Hmm. However... The true nature of these statues is open to interpretation given Hugo's endless flirtations with Jolly. And then there's a subpoint underneath that that says, In spite of this, the trio's only appearance to ever follow this idea was the German musical adaptation, while most of their subsequent appearances, including the film's sequel, explicitly portray them as real creatures. Mm. Interesting. So I think they don't even know what they were doing with yeah. them. <laughs> I think they added three characters to try and make it more kid-friendly and be able to make toys. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't think about the overall repercussions of adding those characters. I I agree 100%. I mean, something was weird was going on at Disney in the 90s, I'm telling you. <laughs> drugs, With the films drugs. that they made and the I think, yeah, the team that they had back then, there's just something going was there, on. Was there yeah. any other kind of like magical, supernatural stuff going on in the movie? Oh, well, I mean, like, so what it talked about uh, in that wiki thing was that Frollo, in the midst of his insanity, sees a statue come to life. That's like, there's a fire burning around him, isn't that? Or he sees fire burning because he's a judge and he kind of sees himself as a pious person, I think, if I remember correctly. And like, that's why he doesn't like Esmeralda because she's quote unquote a gypsy and Ah. they're... And not holy and all this stuff. And he he starts having these hallucinations almost uh, going into you could almost maybe. Ah, there's our Hugo tie in. He might be a little Javert, if that okay. helps you. That does of help me. His fixation on this person is doing something wrong and they can't do this anymore. And I will do whatever it takes to end them. Like that's how Javert is about Valjean. Mm-hmm. Then that's how Frollo is about Esmeralda. Okay. Hugo has a theme there. He kind of does his own thing there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think I have arrived at my final rating. Really? Yeah, I think okay. I have too. Okay. Well, then why don't we rate this theory? But before we do, Michael, could you go over our rating scale? Absolutely. The highest rating that we have is genius. This is reserved for only the best theories, which we believe are better than the actual canon. The next step down is plausible. It's a good theory. It's believable. Unlikely is next. It's not a terrible theory, but pretty unlikely, as the name suggests. And then the last thing is preposterous. These are the theories that are just stupid. Basically, we're all dumber for having listened to them. Okay, I am... I'm shocked... 
I think this is going to be hard to rate, but yeah, y'all tell me. What do you what do you think? <laughs> I think that this I'm going to go with preposterous on this. Um <laughs> I th- I mean you could make a case that the goat is actually recoiling at Quasimodo and maybe Quasimodo is capable of doing the things that happen in the battle. But I mean, I think they were just added there and like we've discussed for the purposes of making it kid friendly, maybe they had the main script ready and then Disney was like, no, put something funny in there. And so they threw these characters in there and that's why they don't interact with anybody else is because that was not the plan from the beginning. And if they show up in a sequel, they portray Mm -hmm, them as real creatures. I mean, it makes sense to me that they're real in the first sequel. I don't know why they are in the first movie. I know sometimes we base theories off solely the movie that's being referred to. But in this instance, because it's a continuity thing, I would Mm -hmm. venture to guess that they are actually intended to be real characters, not hallucinations. Therefore, this theory is preposterous. I will add they're also in Kingdom Hearts. Hmm. Yeah. I kind of changed my mind a couple of times with this one <laughs> as we You sound like one of the creators it. of this film. <laughs> yeah. I I think that I have to land it unlikely on this. I don't think it's quite preposterous for me because it's a decent idea trying to explain something that didn't really make much sense. But <laughs> It's not, there's not a lot of evidence to really back it up. So Mm -hmm. I I have to stick with unlikely. Okay. I think I'm going to go unlikely as well, just because of this, because the creators and their commentary on, well, we thought they were just hallucinations, but (laughs) the way that they're presented, they're not totally 100%. So the creators didn't even know what they were talking about. So (laughs) I will also go unlikely on this as well. I don't feel dumber for having listened to this i mean it's a it's a it's a thought it's an idea it's a theory so (laughs) thank you to uh race car lock for presenting this bringing it out into the world for us to ponder and think about however Mm. we cannot agree with you so sorry okay uh laura how much money do we have in our bribe listeners to rate and review the show budget um, last that I checked, which was about 20 minutes ago, it was $15. Okay, I'm going to take some money from Michael's 4K to increase it. Hey, wait. 4K? Is that my retirement fund from this show? $4,000? <laughs> no. It's our budget to buy you a 13-inch 4K monitor. The only way you're leaving the show is for you to die or I fire you. Wow. Anyway, let's announce a giveaway contest. We want your reviews and ratings of fan theory queries. So we've shuffled some funds around to provide an awesome prize to one lucky listener. Oh, yeah. Well, what could be more awesome than my 13-inch 4K monitor? A brand new pair of either AirPods Pro or Beats Fit Pro. Winner gets to choose. Okay, yeah, that is more awesome than my 13-inch 4K monitor. So how do listeners enter? Pay attention. All you have to do is rate and or review the show, depending on where you listen, and provide proof that you did it. Take a screenshot, tell us the name you used to leave the review, whatever is easiest. Oh, and 
If you've already left a review or rated us, you can still enter. Just follow the same instructions. Then get that info to us however you want. Either email us at fantheoryqueries at gmail.com, message or tweet us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at fantheoryqs, or go to fantheoryqueries.com slash contest and fill out the simple form. You have until September 6th. Wow. So you've made it super easy for people to enter. And all we're asking for in return is a simple review. Spencer, Laura, y'all are really smart. No, you can't enter, and no, you can't have my monitor either. You're tearing me apart, Spencer! How would you like to challenge your little grey cells while reveling in the vintage perfection of David Suchet's Poirot? If so, then the Labours of Hercule podcast was made for you. We're taking a deep dive into every episode of this masterpiece of television and giving you the clues you need to solve the case along with Poirot himself. We present the case and you solve it. Whether you're a detective in the making... Or if you just simply want to gush over the genius and art decodence of Agatha Christie... Then subscribe now... Now to the labors of Hercule wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so on that note, Michael, you read my mind. You know what I wanted to talk about. Um, the infamous movie called The Room came out in 2003. Uh, many people have seen it. Many, many people have not. Um, if you have not seen it, it's probably because you were told that it was lucky. terrible. To stay away, but others may have told you to watch it for that very reason, and that's yes. why we watched it. So that's the room the camp we're in. <laughs> yes, the room was written, directed, produced, starred in by a mysterious man known as Tommy Wiseau. No one knows where he came from. I <laughs> uh, showed up one day and decided to make a movie, uh, and you can learn more about the somewhat true story of him and his friendship with the co-star in this movie, Greg Sestero, in a book and movie called The Disaster Artist. However, I would recommend the book because it is super duper funny. And depending on your feelings of James Franco, he's in the movie. So that might be a deterrent for you. But that being said, let's go ahead and get into this theory. The theory is called The Title of The Room is actually a clue about its real meaning. And the author is The Mighty Heptagon. For all the mockery that gets heaped upon Tommy Wiseau's The Room for its inept direction, writing, acting, cinematography, editing, and well, everything, it has surprisingly <laughs> a lot in common with one of the most iconic and respected dramas in the history of the English language. To briefly recap, it's a tale of lies, betrayal, manipulation, distrust, and infidelity, and it's all about the downfall of a noble and gallant hero whose life is destroyed after he's betrayed by the person he trusted most, ultimately leading to his tragic suicide in the final scene. Weirdly enough, that description could also easily apply to William Shakespeare's Othello. And oh, the similarities don't end there. Both of them feature a friendship that tragically falls apart, an ill-fated romantic relationship between two people from different cultural backgrounds, a prodding in-law, a guy who gets bitter after being passed over for a promotion, a character who tries to ruin someone's life by getting them drunk, numerous heated arguments that erupt into fights. You get the idea. The two works aren't completely identical, of course. Desdemona, unlike Lisa, didn't actually have an affair behind Othello's back. Mark, unlike Iago, doesn't willingly betray Johnny out of pure evil and spite. And Johnny certainly doesn't smother Lisa with a pillow. But the stories are broadly similar enough that it's not hard to imagine that one might have been inspired by the other. 
And considering Tommy Wiseau's background, it's not hard to imagine why the story of that play might resonate with him. After all, at its heart, Othello is the story of a foreign-born man who feels like an outsider in his chosen homeland. And as an immigrant famous for his love of American culture, particularly James Dean and American football, but often mocked as a goofy and eccentric foreign weirdo, it's understandable that Wiseau might see a little bit of himself in Othello. Whether you're a more in the 16th century Venice or a Polish-born guy with an unidentifiable European accent in 2003 San Francisco, being an immigrant isn't always easy. <laughs> but as any fans of the room will tell you, one of the strangest things about the film is its title. It's not particularly descriptive or evocative, making it sort of baffling that Wiseau chose it. After all, the movie takes place in numerous rooms, not just one. And none of them appear to be particularly significant to the story. So why is the movie called that? Simple. What is room spelled backwards? More. Oh my gosh. <laughs> because the movie is actually inspired by the story of Othello, the Moor of Venice. Uh. Wiseau set out to make a film inspired by Othello because he saw it as a parallel for his own life story, and he cleverly hid that fact in the title. It's called The Room as a subtle nod to the fact that it's actually a modern take on the tragic tale of the Moor. And before you dismiss my theory as crazy nonsense, it's worth noting, there's ample evidence that Tommy Wiseau is familiar with the works of Shakespeare. If the disaster artist is to be believed, in fact, he and Greg Sestero first met when Tommy was reciting Shakespeare passages in an acting class, and he has a rather odd habit of reciting Shakespeare's sonnets before showings of the room. Here's an edit to the post. And as someone helpfully pointed out, he also once filmed a commercial where he quotes Hamlet while dressed in Elizabethan clothing. The evidence is everywhere. Too long didn't read? It's a loose modern retelling of Shakespeare's Othello, a story that likely resonates with Wiseau due to his immigrant background. And it's called The Room because room is more, spelled backwards. I love this. I think it's oh, so much. My goodness. goodness. Okay, so my goal oh, was dear. just subjected to his first showing of The Room yesterday. Yep, I watched it in preparation because <laughs> I knew that there was a room theory coming up, but I didn't know what the theory was. And you had never seen the film, which you need in order yeah. to understand this theory. Or at least have a better yeah. sense of where it's coming from. Now, <laughs> I'll be honest with you guys. I didn't tell you this. I swapped the theory at the last minute. The original I, I noticed had, the title was different. Yeah, the original one I had was mm. more about a um, different idea behind the reason why Tommy created the movie. But I like mm -hmm. this one so much better because there's not any concrete evidence against it. Whereas the other one, you could make an argument against it, but I won't get into that. Maybe save it for another time. However, um, let me start with this question. Michael, have you, are you mm -hmm. well-versed in Shakespeare? Um, I haven't really done much with it since high okay. school and maybe a little in college, mm -hmm. early college, but I did get into it quite a bit whenever I was there. So like, I'm familiar with a lot of the stories. I know we read Othello uh, when I was a junior in high school. Mm -hmm. Laura, I know you, you, did you take a Shakespeare class? I did. I, I took a Shakespeare class and I have to say that I absolutely love the most recent Othello film starring Lawrence Fishburne in Kenneth Branagh. It is mm -hmm. so good. It's really good. Mm. I don't think I've even heard of that mm -hmm. one. Okay, well, since you've seen that, Laura, and you've also seen well, the Well, it room. was a classic retelling, didn't they? Just There's a more, there's even more recent one, I think, with oh. Denzel Washington, maybe. That was Macbeth, I think. So, Laura, let me ask you this. Block out 
uh, any other future thoughts, just stop right here. Stop your brain from progressing and answer this question. <laughs> Can you see any similarities between The Room and Othello? I mean, the way that the author pointed it out. Did you ever connect of, them before this? I never connected them, no. Did you ever connect The Room to anything? Did you ever think, oh, this is like this movie? Or I could? he probably was basing it off of this. I independently did not. I remember I thought that Tommy was so wanted it to be like Hamlet, mm, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. not. <laughs> it's definitely not like Hamlet, but I think he <laughs> it was a red hair wanted it yeah. to be. I think the main reason I don't connect it with Othello is just that idea of there were prejudices against Othello because he was mm-hmm. a Moor, and the way that Johnny is in this movie. That's for anybody that doesn't know the uninitiated Johnny is Tommy's character. (laughs) Um, I don't feel like there's any prejudice against him for being a foreigner. That's a good point. Now I will say, and to counter that it's not brought up at all in the movie that he's a foreigner. Like it could, that character could be played by anybody. Mm -hmm. So that's not part of the plot. However, if, it is his motivation because he feels like he connects with Othello on a personal level because of that. Maybe he experiences the same kind of, at least in his mind, the same kind of prejudices that he thinks Othello. Maybe he, again, like they said, it's it's somewhat based off, but not a direct adaptation. Maybe he didn't. I mean, I don't. I don't want to give the guy too much credit, <laughs> so I'm just just playing that out there. We're already giving him enough credit <laughs> yes. as it is, mentioning him on our podcast. Yes. <laughs> so I just have to real quick before we dive into comments and stuff, Michael. Yes. Did you know that this film has a cult following? I did. I was. I've been familiar with the idea of this film, and ever like like you said, the following behind it for a while. It's just, I've avoided it because I did, whenever I first heard about it, I did watch like a trailer for it. And I was like, no, I, I can't even stoop as low to even watch this one. But when knowing that this, that a theory was coming up and with you guys's encouragement, I bit the bullet and watched the movie. So, so there are screenings like it talks about in the theory still mm-hmm. to this day. In fact, Spencer and my former theater professor just went to a screening last month <laughs> and got their picture oh, awesome. with, yeah, with uh, not Mark. Lisa? No, the, Chris the, R. the actor who played Mark. Oh, Greg Costero. Yeah, got, she got her picture taken with Greg <laughs> at the screening. <laughs> Greg and Tommy tour the country screening this film still. And people dress up in tuxedos. Or <laughs> the ladies fit. dress up in red dresses. They bring plastic spoons and throw them at the screen whenever the framed picture of a spoon shows up. And they also, while they're standing in line, they have footballs and they just stand like three feet apart from each other and toss footballs at each other, okay, like Laura, the scene in the so, alleyway. I'm so sad. Laura suggested we watch this movie last uh, night just to, as a refresher, and I turned her down. And now I'm sad I didn't. That I did turn Yeah, it he was. He was like, "Uh, I can't watch that again." And I was like, "Oh man!" So I mean, yeah, it's, it's, now we. It's oh, definitely man. a fun group activity, just as long as you prepare yourself for the getting busy scenes that are awful, the uncomfortably yes. long. 
and gratuitous scenes. Which you saw that this on YouTube. Did they blur any of that out? No, it was it was all there. Wow. Yeah, he was I, watching it I with Italian subtitles. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Italians they're not going to blur it out. No, it was <laughs> it was all there. Unfortunately, yeah, so skip that because it's disturbing. So, do you guys have anything else to share before we get into the comments? I was just going to say I wholeheartedly agree yeah. that you should read. The Disaster Artist, mm -hmm. anybody, it is such a fun read. Even if you haven't um, seen the movie, I mean, it's a great book. It is. The, and, seeing the movie I mean, helps, but yeah. And seeing the movie, The Disaster Artist, is okay, but the book was so much better. Laugh out loud. And I mean, so here's one thing I'll just say real quick, uh, Michael, that you might not know about. He had mm -hmm. two, he made a special rig for his cameras, and he filmed in digital and on film at the same time. <laughs> what? And I don't know why. HD, high definition. <laughs> That's the other I thing. Mean, at the end of the film, since you watched it on YouTube, you might not have access to it. We have the DVD. It's a There's special, a special feature. interview. Yeah. There's an interview with Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> and it's so good. And he's like, it's not all room. It's the room. <laughs> <laughs> Further evidence that he's like... Because he's like, because his, that's, a, I completely forgot about that. But is this interview, he's like, it's because the question on the interview is, why is the movie called The Room? And his basic explanation is, it's not our room, it's the room. It's a place you can go, you can have a good time, you can have a bad time. And <laughs> um, that was his explanation this time. But let's, let's read some comments here and see what these people say. From Pokeball Z. While I think the room more is a bit of a stretch, I can completely believe that Wiseau was inspired by Shakespeare. Again, going back to Lars' comment about something about him trying to make a Hamlet-type uh, movie. Then we have Genetic Shift. I do love this, but Tommy originally wrote The Room as a play meant to be set in one room, which leads to the title. He then adapted it into a gigantic book, which never got published. So he made that beautiful, blessed movie instead. But at the end of the day, Tommy is going to see this and claim it was his idea. So you probably just rewrote history. <laughs> uh, then we have Craigular Person. I am warning you, trying to understand Tommy will only lead you down a gigantic wormhole. For your own mm -hmm. sanity, I recommend you stop now. <laughs> yes. Final comment from the Mighty Heptagon OP comes back in and says, If you also believe that Lisa was intended to be the Desdemona to Johnny Zothello, her name could also be a subtle joke. Her name is Lisa, as in Mona Lisa, and she's based on Desdemona. Desdemona Lisa. Mona Lisa. Lisa. Okay, that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's interesting. I don't recall anywhere in The Disaster Artist about Greg, because Greg talks about a lot about him, because he and Johnny really were, or Tommy, really are and were best friends through after the course of this movie like they were roommates at one yeah, point yeah like he was johnny's he calling johnny he was tommy's only friend so he knows a lot about it and that's what gives him a great perspective to write that book but i don't recall anything about it meant to be a play do you i think i remember it meant to be a play but i do not remember it being a gigantic book i remember in greg sestero's book that he remembers Tommy feverishly writing the screenplay. Mm -hmm. Remember that he just, I mean, he just banged it out on the typewriter yeah. in their living room. I mean, he was mm -hmm. just typing all the time and he was acting like a madman, pacing around and all this stuff. 
And I think it had something to do with him dyeing his hair in, in the middle of trying yeah, to. Yeah. <laughs> That's a funny thing, too, Michael, is that mm. he dyes his hair black and he's like really anal about it. And I don't know. It's Well, and no one knows how old he is. No one knows really where he came from. He's It's very suspicious or not suspicious, very mysterious. It's just an enigma. An he enigma. is indeed. He's a mystery um, man. And he has and no one knows where he got his money to fund all of yeah, this. Yeah, he self-funded this whole thing. Yeah. That was my first question after I finished watching this movie yesterday. Who backed like, this? Who in their right mind paid <laughs> for did. this? All of it. So, so the hilarious thing, like, the and he people bought who they the cameras the, too. He didn't even rent yeah. them. I'll say one more thing, and then we'll get back into talking about the theory. But the people that <laughs> that they cast to act this out in the Disaster Artist is hilarious. Remember Chris mm-hmm. R, like the drug dealer. Where's my money, Denny? That's Kefron. Zac Efron plays that character. <laughs> <laughs> and of course james franco plays oh, tommy man. who plays uh it's his, his little brother. it's his brother it's james franco's plays brother mark who plays denny yeah. who plays denny <laughs> i remember that being it would be funny if it was seth rogan is one of the, <laughs> the or directors <laughs> or a grip or oh, something a line producer oh. or something yeah he might be the <laughs> line producer mm-hmm. that might be the hard part is because they're not credited as the characters they played Oh, Allison, because Allison Brie is married to Dave Franco. She's the the friend, the girlfriend. That's oh, one of our favorite okay. lines. The quote is about is Michelle. Yeah, Michelle. <laughs> Chocolate is the food of love. And <laughs> um, oh, it's Josh Hutcherson was. Yes, that's what it was. Oh man, <laughs> who plays Lisa? Um. Um, what was her? Aria Grainer. Aria Grainer. I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is either. I forgot Pimento was Jason, in this movie. Yeah. From Brooklyn Nine Nine. I don't know. Who... Oh, Peter. Oh. He's Peter, the guy with the Beta Breakers guy with the glasses that looks like the guy that gets his face melted off in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, as far as the theory goes, that. The room is based off of Othello, and it's called the room because room spelled backwards is more. Do you have anything else to add? No, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready to rate. Okay, Michael, you seem eager. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, because why not? Like, just like the whole movie. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't make sense, but the movie doesn't make sense. So, sure. And honestly. I can't deny all of the connections that the that OP yeah. pointed out mm-hmm. in this. Yeah. I mean, there's there's way too many for it to be a coincidence. Right. I don't like. Yeah, I think that Tommy is just some secret genius, <laughs> and this was his a way. disaster artist, if you will. Yeah, he knew that he would be able to milk this forever until he dies by doing showings of it. With the cult. All right, Laura, what about you? Uh, I'm going to go unlikely on this. Um, if we are looking at it being tied to Othello, like I pointed out, of a, a, a theme of that is being a minority and the struggles that come with that. Tommy, in his personal life, was, I mean, he was prejudiced. Like, there were people who had prejudices against him due to his being um, an immigrant. Why wouldn't he have written that into the script if he was trying to portray himself? And except that I think what he was doing here, because he was also, like we talked about in the theory, he's big into James Dean and all that stuff. He's trying to make himself into like an American, well, a, a, a true red blood. Yeah. 
American here. He's not showing any of his struggle into becoming an American. So that's why I think it doesn't really link up with Othello for me. Shakespeare, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see some Shakespearean themes with all the drama mm-hmm. and the, I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I'm really not. And, uh, and the mom. And, <laughs> well, the I, results came well, in. I definitely have I've got breast cons- cancer. <laughs> that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I found another theory about that one anyway. But anyway. Okay, I, mean, I think that's a fair point, but I'm going to take that point and choose to look at it a, di- a different way. Laura, you're going to be in the minority this time. I'm going to go genius on this too. Um, I was thinking plausible, but Michael, hearing you talk, and then I kind of talked myself into it. And, and normally, <laughs> as far as I can remember, I won't give a genius rating unless I know for a fact that, or pretty close to a fact, that it cannot be debunked. Now, in this case, I'm not going to say that because I could very much go and do more research and find, oh, yeah, he originally did mean it to be a play. Even if he did mean for it to be a play, it still could be based off of Othello. But I'm going to choose to accept this as what is truth. And Laura, I think maybe whenever he was writing the story, he was conflicted in that he wanted to portray he felt he felt this, you know, the similarity to Othello. But at the same time, if he thought that this might be his shot to launch a career or to be a big deal, he was conflicted and he didn't want to come across as like, you know, someone that he didn't want to give anybody else free ammunition to use against him in his real life, I guess. Maybe he didn't know how to write characters that were critical of him, you know? What were you going to say? He gave them plenty of ammunition just by making the movie. (laughs) We understand that on the other side of this, but in the mind of Tommy Wiseau, which is a dangerous place to go, as was pointed out by one of You don't need to be convincing me. I've made my decision. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm trying to just provide enough support for my decision so that people can't come on down the line and be like... Well, don't direct it at me. Oh, I'm not. I'm not directing at you whoever's said, listening. You said now, Laura, <laughs> because because I'm I'm talking about the point you point out you brought up because I'm Laura. I'm taking your point, but this is how I'm going to look at it. So yes, I think this is genius, and the similarities are there. And I think this person, the mighty Heptagon, kudos, major kudos. When I read this, I was like, this is. <laughs> This is great. This is good stuff. Especially like, I know it's ridiculous. Room spelled backwards is more. But I mean, I could honestly imagine Tommy Wiseau doing something like that. Like, And see, that's why I went with unlikely. Because I was like, I don't think I can go with preposterous. Because he very well could come along and go, oh, yeah, that's what I totally meant to do. I mean, because that's what he did with the room. He thought this was going to be the next I don't know, Citizen Kane or something. Mm-hmm. And then when he saw people <laughs> laughing at it, he was like, oh, yeah, I totally meant it to be a mm-hmm. comedy. So, I mean, he, he can do, he will do that. He mm-hmm. can do that. He is such a strange enigma mm-hmm. that that's why I'm like, well, I can't totally. It's almost like my last theory. You know, the creators were ambivalent about mm-hmm. were the gargoyles real or not. That's how it is with Tommy Wiseau, too. He can be, he can say this one day and then that the next. It doesn't matter. I think it's because, like I said, he's conflicted. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> so to kind of segue from there, um, this next theory that I've chosen is also about trying to explain strange writing. 
You never know, because knowing is half the battle. What? Oh, whoops. Uh, I know what she meant to say, but it didn't come out exactly right. I think she's saying, I'm empty, so please dispose of me properly. Oh, got it. So you want me to take both the red pill and the blue pill? Exactly. I knew you'd phone home one of these days. Please, 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 please. Sandwiches do have a way of putting baby in a corner. Couldn't have said it better myself. Colons and pork chops. Hey, Matt. Did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. There is a corner of Los Angeles where dreams are brought to life. The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. Where stars are born. Made in Mars! Top of the world! Where legends are made. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! For over a hundred years, the world has been captivated by Hollywood. But just beneath the stardust lie a million more fascinating stories. Tales of heroism. Villainy, betrayal, passion, tragedy, and triumph that, when sewn together, form an incredible history. The Secret History of Hollywood, available now wherever you get podcasts. So my theory is about The Office. I love this theory. I'm so glad you picked it. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan, too. The user who posted it has been deleted, so I'm just going to call them deleted. The name of my theory is why the Scranton employees become so weird in later seasons. So anyone who has watched The Office knows that the characters become caricatures of themselves as the series go on. Kevin goes from being a slightly dull but still functional accountant in the beginning to trying to glue a turtle's shell back together using office supplies. <laughs> Dwight goes from the honorary guy who takes his job way too seriously to the guy who shoots a coworker with tranquilizer darts and slides his limp body down the stairs. <laughs> the branch goes from a dysfunctional, believable office setting to getting so hopped up on espresso that they rip up the carpet. <laughs> Why do the employees get so weird later in the series? The series has a running joke where Toby wants the building to be checked for radon, but no one ever takes him seriously. However, Toby was right. Over the years, the radon in the building caused many of the Dunder Mifflin employees to develop brain cancer, greatly mm -hmm. altering their personalities the longer they worked in the building. The flanderization of their characters is the direct result of radon poisoning in their brains. 
This is why Michael is so different in the finale. His time in Colorado allowed his brain to overcome the effects of the radon poisoning, thus allowing him to mellow out and become more mature. Okay, so OP has a couple of edits to their original theory, but they're based off of some comments that happen. So do you guys want me to just jump into these comments and read through everything and then we well, can discuss? Or do you I, want to start talking about let, it now? Let's talk a little we bit. We can discuss. Because, okay. because I think there, I mean, there's no doubt this happens in the show, right? There's no denying mm-hmm. that the characters get zanier and zanier. And mm-hmm. for better or for worse, you know, I think it's great that they develop a little towards that direction. But in my opinion, it gets too over the top and unbelievable. Um Eventually, but that's not the point. I do find it interesting that the characters, for the most part, that are not in the Scranton office are mostly normal people um, or that mm-hmm. spend a lot of time there. I mean, you look at Jan. When did she start getting crazier when she moved to Scranton? Yep. You look at Michael. He got better when he moved away, like we talked about. I mean, look at David Wallace. I mean, he... He was one of them. Like, I love that guy. And the fact that he's actually some kind of finances, real finances guy is believable. He, I feel like he's just playing himself, that character. Yeah. He does a great job being the, the realistic one. You know, with Charles Minor, you know, he was kind of a jerk to begin with, but he almost felt like he got even more of a jerk as things went on, as the longer he was there. I can't think of really, like, you, you look at Karen. You know, Karen was only mm-hmm. there for a little bit. And once she left, like, she never really got crazy. That's what I was going to say about the Stanford branch. When they came over yeah. to Scranton, mm-hmm. they all of them were pretty mellow and they got crazier. But yeah. that's also what this is saying is in seasons one and two, for the most part, everybody working at Scranton was pretty normal. Mm-hmm. And then they started getting crazier and crazier. But I do wonder about like the other people in the, in the building. We see them like Bob Vance. Well, I mean... I, I don't know many people that go around introducing themselves with the name of their company. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. Refrigeration. But we do see later all of the, you know, they have they have the parking problem where yeah. the mm-hmm. repair guys are taking up their parking spots and they call together the, I can't remember what they called them, but it was almost like a mafia meeting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, yeah. It's like the Dons or whatever. The, it was almost like the Dons is what they called it, but... They called them all together to meet, and basically they're like, "Would you just tell your repair guys to stop parking there?" The other people in the off in from the other offices seemed pretty normal. Where does radon come from? It's like, is that from gas, an air conditioner? I was trying to think if it would be possible for just. It is a gas. For just the offices of Dunder Mifflin to be impacted, and not the rest of the building. If it if it does come refrigeration, this might be where you're going with it. It might be coming from Vance Refrigeration and traveling upward. Vance Refrigeration is I know at least part of them is upstairs, so I don't know if they have a double story office because I remember them coming out of the office and seeing the Vance Refrigeration guys meet them at the elevator or something like that. Unless I'm making that. I could have sworn Vance Refrigeration was on a lower floor. That, so what I'm seeing from the EPA says radon comes from the natural decay of uranium that is found in nearly all soils. It typically moves up through the ground to the air above and into your home through cracks and other holes in the foundation. 
your home traps radon inside where it can build up. So it's actually most prevalent in like the basement. Hmm. Hmm. Now, what if because of maybe a, a slight structural integrity in this building, what if there's a crack that bypasses the other floors and just opens up on their floor? So they're the only ones getting exposed. Maybe. That sounds... <laughs> Maybe we should look at some other possible explanations. A little bit contrived. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, can I read the first comment? Go for the it. The first comment is, you are the silent killer. Go back to the annex. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a quote from Michael to Toby when mm. he first brings up, Radon mm. is the silent killer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. So, Cario Dude says... I always thought they started acting weirder on purpose because they were getting tired of the documentary crew hanging around. They thought if they acted more dumb and more strange that the documentary would pull out of the project. Mm. And in response to that, uh, user Gusty Goaty says, I thought it might be the other way around. They want to stay interesting enough so the crew finishes the, the documentary and they mm. can be famous or something. Kind of like how reality TV shows are so over the top because the director uh, keeps pushing the subjects into conflict or acting weird. Uh, or just straight up scripting it. Good point. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Eris Gray says, I just assumed the business went under, but the show remained popular. With no actual work and simply keeping up the appearances, the characters became characters of, of themselves. Instead of Dwight actually stressing over a meaningful workload, he imagines what, quote unquote, Dwight could be stressing over and acts it out. As time goes on, the characters they play become almost completely detached from the people they are, and you have full flanderization. The, the uh, thing about that comment, as we've talked mm -hmm. about before on the DeLiangelo episode, is that it wasn't a show. This was for a, a single documentary that they aired after they recorded everything. So yeah. that the show remained unpopular. The show remained popular even though the business went under. That's not a good starting point for that theory. Also, I think the introduction of Saber into the mix makes it unlikely that the business went under. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Unless that was part of the ruse. Mm. I don't know. But Count Mecca says, To me, Ryan was always the visual indicator of the quality of the show, or the groundedness of the show anyway. In the first two seasons, he was just this normal temp dealing with a pretty insane office. In season three, he's a little bit more fleshed out. He's a salesman now, getting sort of diluted now with Kelly, but mostly believable. In season four is when he becomes a little more bizarre. He's the boss, addicted to cocaine, engaging in corporate fraud, and generally becoming extremely full of himself. By season five on, he becomes this ridiculous, amoral, insane, and delusional guy. I think his journey as a character also traces the route of the show itself. It's true. I've had that thought before. Now... Yeah. That that comment doesn't necessarily speak to the theory, but it does mm -hmm, provide yeah. some interesting thoughts in that, okay, he's a normal guy when he becomes a temp there, and he goes off to corporate and becomes whatever position that is, he becomes crazier, but that could be due to the cocaine. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's then a heck of a drug. He, <laughs> he somewhat becomes... <laughs> somewhat seemingly normal when he works at the bowling alley before he's recruited from for the Michael Scott paper company. Yes. And then he comes back and crazy again. So uh, that's just some other things to think about with that. Yeah. Okay. I have one more 
um, comment, and uh, it's there's a response from OP, and Spencer, I want you to read <laughs> the response from OP to this after I read the Good. comment. Good. So, Kamasta says, okay, but radon exposure would result in lung cancer, not brain. Every time I try to post something new and exciting, you make it not that way. <laughs> Bravo. That's exactly how I wanted you to do that. And that's because Spencer loves those quotes from Michael the most. Or, yeah, yeah. From Michael Scott the most was when he's doing something to Toby. Why are you mm-hmm. the way that you are? Yep. <laughs> those are some of the best. Okay, so back to, back to the main theory. I'm going to read the edits that OP made, and then we can kind of wrap this up. OP says, uh, to piggyback on what user uh, Jen Joes said, which I didn't read that comment, it says, it's also possible that the documentary crew is pumping radon into the office to manipulate the subject's behavior. (laughs) What? They're exposing (laughs) themselves, too. That's so weird. Yeah, I don't know. And then his last edit is, uh, many commenters are saying that the decline in quality happens to shows uh, that last a long time. This is true. However, this theory is a rationalization about why, in-universe, the characters behaved uh, the way that they did. It is not meant to say that the writers wrote wrote it this way on purpose. The writer's intent is irrelevant to this in-universe fan theory. I hope that this isn't true, but it's sounding to me like OP felt bullied by the commenters, and that's why they (laughs) Uh deleted their account. (laughs) Now they're (laughs) deleted. (laughs) It sounds to me like OP is Toby. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I just looked up because I was curious. I looked up, you know, the impacts, the effects of radon, and it's mm-hmm. all respiratory, lung cancer, mm-hmm. yeah. cough, wheezing, coughing up blood, chest pain. Nothing about mental, like asbestos. Yeah, nothing about mental uh, damage whatsoever. Hmm. So some more thinking. I think I could probably come up with a rating at this point. I might have to do that with a caveat i'm also open to discuss anymore if y'all are needing to no i'm ready to rate it yeah i think i am too okay. uh, laura do you want to kick us off sure i'll do it this is preposterous <laughs> <laughs> um op i'm i'm so sorry you felt the need to delete your account thank you for your contribution to our show by writing mm-hmm. out your theory and letting us have this content it's fun to contemplate mm-hmm. It's fun to see somebody embracing their Michael Scottness so much. <laughs> yes. And obviously, this is a person who loves this show. And there are so many people out there who do. And that's mm-hmm. really cool. However, yeah, the points that you brought up are just kind of ludicrous to me as far as, like, this was a, a documentary film that didn't air until taping was done. So the documentary crew would have, like, no influence over this especially the edit about them pumping in the radon then they would be poisoning themselves doesn't really (laughs) make sense (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) it could just be that these people have been working here for forever Mm -hmm. and are just going crazy but i also have another theory that i'm gonna record another time from a a video that i saw on watch mojo as to why they get crazier Mm -hmm. that could also be another explanation for this it's not that i believe it more (laughs) uh it's just that there are plenty of people pondering this of Mm -hmm. why this happened but yeah this just it doesn't work for me so preposterous i think if i were to make like a logical leap of out of everything that's been presented today 
the thing that makes the most sense probably is that these people in this office wanted to get more attention and so they started acting more and more outlandishly as the season as the as the documentary went on maybe so they could have a bigger part in the documentary i don't know that i think that makes the most sense but as far as this theory goes i'm going to give it a plausible with one caveat in that it's which i mean i guess this is what the whole theory is based on in that it's not radon <laughs> um i mean is that fair or should i say unlikely in this case no you can okay because no it's up to you yeah i i think this it's, is our show I, we get to make the rule <laughs> i think it's plausible that there could be poisons there may be something environmentally there that is impacting them because i do need a reason i mean i have respect for the writers at least up until a certain point and i need a reason why to not lose my respect for them as the same way that i lost enjoyment and interest of the show later on how the the kookiest of them all with the exception of maybe creed uh michael scott <laughs> how does he turn into what we see there at the end of the show and some may say oh well he has a family now he's 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 got the love of his life and like no i mean he was with holly and that at and in scranton you know that didn't yeah. change anything and she's just as kooky as i mean she might be a little bit more reasonable as far as being a real normal person but she's still just as kooky and so i don't think that's enough to explain why his drastic shift in character and so i think there's something there in the office particularly maybe it's the paper they sell that they're sitting by all day every day some sort of chemical yeah, yeah. um i think there's something there in the office building that impacts the people that breathe it in all day every day you know andy lost his mind and punched a hole in the wall <laughs> when he came back he, he went to anger management sure but it was a big old break from whatever was in that office building and he was much more even tempered mm -hmm. so maybe it's i mean maybe who knows who knows what's in there so with that caveat it's plausible you could be right i mean that was a very big deal in the early aughts about Mm -hmm. workplace exposure to chemicals. I mean, we saw, mm -hmm. you know, those commercials from those kind of ambulance chaser lawsuit looking for lawyers, you know, lawsuit yep. seeking lawyers who were, were you exposed to whatever? Yep. You may be entitled to compensation. You know, mm -hmm. that's that was a big deal at that time period. So you very well may be right. It's just maybe not right on. So good mm -hmm. job, Spence. What about you, Thanks. Michael? So I don't know if you guys will allow me to do this. <laughs> but I have two different ratings. <laughs> oh, this yes, is a first. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's kind of goes along with what Spencer said. I will say that if we take out radon and replace it with some other chemical that would make more sense, then this is genius. But the fact that we don't really have any other option right now and that they specifically say in the theory that it's radon mm -hmm. it's preposterous wow so if you just swap that one little detail out mm -hmm. it changes it from one end of the spec rating spectrum to the other for me which hmm. is hard to do because it's based on a quote in the show like yeah. that's what launches yeah. them off is radon being a silent killer yeah so it's for me it's just it's too difficult to dismiss the fact that Michael changes so much, mm -hmm. like you were saying, 
whenever he goes off and comes back and, and the others that go off and come back and the ones that are not directly working in the office all the time. It's just, there's, there's too much evidence to completely deny it, but there's not enough evidence to say, yes, it's this. Cool. So Consider genius yourself and preposterous. Doubly rated. Oh, um, maybe we should dip back, put some money, more money back into his 4k. <laughs> 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 please well um, Laura Spencer Michael guys this has been a great episode it's been a lot of fun but it's time to bring it to a close however uh, before we wrap things up I do want to share this fascinating detail I found on Reddit the other day I was just browsing around um, looking up different room theories and on um, this little known movie detail that came across was so good that the user deleted their account because they got so many upvote notifications. Really? They pointed, wow. yeah, they pointed out that the DCEU Batgirl movie holds the world record for longest director's cut as it features over 90 minutes of deleted scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. That <laughs> oh, that's dirty. <laughs> oh, which, and can we say that also retroactively kind of messes with my theory from last episode about Michael Keaton's Batman about to get more screen mm-hmm. time because mm-hmm. he is now in those deleted scenes. Maybe one of those dis- deleted scenes had the scarecrow in it. And he's out of Aquaman, so yikes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, oh, that's a good one. That was really fun. Well, this has been Fan Theory Queries. I'm Laura. I'm Michael. And I'm Spencer. Join us next time as we analyze more fan theories and ask queries such as, did Harry Potter go see the original Space Jam movie when it premiered in theaters? We'll discuss that and other fascinating fan theories on next week's episode. Fan Theory Queries is a part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like Art of History, Big Picture Science, and I Know What Scares You.